When I was 12 years old, I remember a very deep and meaningful conversation that I had at school with my friend Ryan Magnuson. Now, our whole class was in our junior high library, and we were supposed to be doing research for some project, but Ryan and I felt like the discussion that we were having was much more important than any assignment the teacher gave us. And the topic that kept us so enthralled that day was the unbeatable frying pan. Ryan was trying to convince me that the greatest weapon in the world was a frying pan. And I said, no, come on. Surely that can't be accurate. What if someone has a gun and tries to shoot at you? He said, you just use the frying pan to block the bullets. Plus, you can't fry an egg with a gun. I said, ooh, that's a good point. Well, wait, what if someone has a sword? Ryan said, you just use the frying pan as a shield, and then when you get a chance, you hit him over the head with it. Game over. I thought, yeah, I guess that could work. I waited a long time for this. Oh, mama, I have got to get me one of these. Then I said, okay, Ryan, what are you gonna do if someone throws a grenade at you? And he said, you just use the frying pan like a baseball bat, boom, you knock it right back at them. And on and on and on, we discussed this. And with each scenario we came up with, the winner every time was the frying pan. And I was finally convinced that indeed, the unbeatable frying pan was the greatest all-purpose weapon. If you have a frying pan, then you're ready for anything. Well, today, we begin a series studying an Old Testament book called Psalms. And what we're going to find, or what you may have already discovered about the Psalms, is that it's the kind of the frying pan of the Bible. Not that you should hit people over the head with it. Don't do that. But what I mean is that it contains wisdom and expressions about us and about God that will help us be ready for anything that life throws our way. Now, a lot of people are already familiar with the Psalms. There's popular songs like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And there's other psalms of praise and trust that we've come to know because we've turned them into songs and we sing them in worship. We pray them. We declare them. And this might lead people to think that the psalms are just one type of expression, specifically praises to God. And there definitely are praises in the psalms, lots of expressions of praise that we get in this book, but it's certainly not the only kind of expression that this ancient songbook contains. If that were true... And then we might call this series Ready for Sunday or Ready for Things to Stay the Same. But no, the Psalms contain expressions of joy and of sorrow. There's hope in there, but there's also desperation. There's untethered vengeance and rage that we'll, we'll hear. There's guilt and shame, fear and disappointment. And there's also praises. There's Thanksgiving Psalms. There's wisdom. There's instruction. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of the soul. What that means is that there's a psalm for every season, and they're addressed to the God who understands all of them. As a church, we read through the entire book of Psalms in January by simply reading five psalms a day. And we want you to continue doing this throughout the month of February. And we haven't even studied psalms yet. We've been reading them, and we've been soaking them up. And even before you dig deep into their meaning or their purpose or their history, you can already appreciate them on an aesthetic level. There's praises to God that sound magnificent. There's prayers for help, cries for God's intervention, pleas for enemies to be overcome and obstacles to be removed. 
But now, as we seek to understand the Psalms a little better, we're going to ask questions like, what are the Psalms? What's their purpose? What can they teach us about God or about ourselves or about our relationship with God? So that's what we're going to dig into a little bit this morning as we start this new series. First of all, we need to acknowledge that the Psalms are poetry. The Psalms are an artistic form of writing, and they contain poetic expressions like uh, metaphors and hyperbole. There's figures of speech. There's word pictures that are painted for us. So don't turn to the Psalms expecting step-by-step instructions on how to build an ark or how to repair a relationship. Don't expect its wisdom to come through sounding like a sermon all the time or a TED Talk. We have to remember the Psalms are heart language. And some of you out there, you're engineers, you're, you're brainiacs, uh, and you want that sheet of instructions on, on how to get through life under God's shelter and God's leading. But you need to take away that expectation because you may not get that. As I said, the Psalms do contain instruction, but you may not find instructions. And these poems, we need to know, were used liturgically in Israel. They were sung and prayed during their gatherings and their festivals. And when you read the Psalms, you may notice that they sound a little bit repetitive. They may sound like they repeat themselves. And that's because the Psalms, being poetry, they often use a poetic device called a parallelism. And that's where you say something and then you say it again in a slightly different way. You say it a little different the second time. Like the first verse of Psalm 3, this is a good example of parallelism. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? There you go, parallelism. And that's something that we kind of come to expect, maybe in our song lyrics, but we might not be ready for that when we're studying the Bible and looking for verses and whatever. But look, here's an example of one of the songs that we sing where a line is repeated. It's the same sentiment, but we say it again because it fits the song. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And there are lots of different types of songs, but three main categories that you'll find are prayers, praises, and instruction on godly living. Prayers can take the form of confession, like Psalm 51. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. They can be requests for help, like here in Psalm 86. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. You'll have prayers of thanksgiving. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Or prayers of confidence in God. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. There also, the prayers can take the form of complaints or laments, we call them. This is a common form of prayer that you're going to see a lot of in the Psalms. Psalm 13 is a great example of this. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then you'll have praises. Praises honor God for the works of his creation. Psalms like Psalm 8 and Psalm 148. We praise God and we say, man, look at what you did. This is amazing. We praise God for creation and the order of things. We praise God for his status as the reigning king of the universe. Psalms 93 through 98 and the Psalms in that section are called the enthronement Psalms because it's this picture of God as the king and he's on the throne and he's reigning with justice and it's a good thing. Praising God for his kingship. 
We also praise God for his history of faithfulness throughout Israel. One of the longest psalms in, in the whole songbook is Psalm 78, and it just details Israel's history of dedication to God and, and being not so dedicated to God, but about how God saved them again and again and again, and how God was faithful over and over. And then there's psalms of instruction, and they declare the goodness of God's word and the value of walking closely with God. Psalms like Psalm 32, and a psalm we'll look at a little bit later today, Psalm 1, instruction psalms. So there's value in reading and praying and singing and knowing these psalms. They teach us how to pray and how to praise and how to write the wisdom and knowledge of God on our hearts. And the whole book of Psalms was cherished and preserved wisdom from Israel's history. But we should ask, why is it something that we should spend our time with today? Well, the very first psalm in the songbook tells us why. Psalm 1 serves as kind of an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. Kind of like this mural that was painted in downtown Livermore. It serves as kind of an introduction to the city of Livermore. Lots of different parts of Livermore's culture are represented in this sign. It's letting you know, hey, this is a place for craft breweries and winemaking and fine dining. And also there's a nod to our, our Western cowboy culture and history here in Livermore, but also a nod to our science and technological development community. It's a way of saying, hey, welcome to Livermore. You're in for a great experience. Well, in the same way, Psalm 1 serves as what to expect when you begin the Psalms journey. Psalms 1 goes like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalms 1 says, welcome to the word and wisdom of the Lord. You're in for a great experience. And it commends its hearers, and that's us hearing these words today. It says, good job. You chose to trust in the Lord instead of wasting your time following the path of the wicked and the foolish. And then it gives us this rich image of the contrast between a firmly planted tree with deep and healthy roots versus the chaff, the, the light stuff that easily blows away in the wind. And it asks us to consider what kind of growth we are. Are we firmly planted in our faith and trust in God? Do we receive continuous nourishment from our deep roots in his word? Are we like that tree by the streams of water? Or are we light and weak in our faith, easily blown around by winds of change and worries and negative influences? This fragile spiritual state seems to be connected to the company that we keep. They mention the wicked, the path of sinners, and mockers. And I don't want to be that easily swayed. I want to have those firm roots. You know, the last time I was at Tony and Sheila's house on the Oregon coast, there was a day when there were crazy high winds, and it even got worse at night. I remember I was laying in bed thinking, oh man, is this storm going to get in the house? Because the wind was just blowing, and the windows were bowing back and forth. You could hear them. The rain was just pouring buckets and just beating against the side of the house and the roof of the house. And I remembered, hey, 
they have a lot of trees around their house. There's these really tall trees in their back property. And I thought, even if one of those trees falls down, it could crash right through the house. So I was nervous. All these high winds were blowing, but they didn't fall. They were firmly planted and they stayed put the whole time we were there. That's the kind of faith that Psalms is inviting us into, that firmly planted faith. And as if we don't already have enough reasons to want to dive in and and read our five psalms a day and experience the joy and the blessing of meditating on the law of the Lord, we also remember that the psalms played a big role in Jesus' life as well. I can't help but wonder if Jesus had Psalm 1 in mind when he taught about the person who built his house on the solid foundation versus the foolish person who built their house on the sand and the wind knocked it down easily. Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount by saying this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus grew up learning the Psalms. They were a part of him. He probably had them all memorized. You might hear that and think, wow, that's pretty impressive. 150 Psalms? I could never do that. And to that I want to say, you know, you probably could. Think of how many worship songs you already know all the words to. Or how many Christmas songs you could sing from memory. Remember, psalms were sung. And so it's easy for them to be written on the hearts of Jewish men and women. Now you may not have memorized all the psalms, but I bet you know some. Because we sing them in our worship services as often as we can. See if you can finish this line. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah from the... Yes, see, you know that one. Praise Jehovah in the highest, all his... Yes, you've got this because we've sung these psalms. That comes straight out of Psalm 148. Like Almost the entire lyrics of that song are just copied and pasted from Psalm 148. So you can do this. And throughout this series, I'm going to try to incorporate as many sung psalms as I can, and hopefully it will help secure them on our hearts and concrete them into our brains and help us become those trees planted by streams of water, yielding our fruit in season, whose leaves don't wither. That's what we're going for. Jesus loved the psalms. He knew the psalms. He quotes the psalms multiple times in the Gospels. In John 15, Jesus talks about uh, his people rejecting him and his disciples. And he says to them, they hated me without cause, which is language that he pulls straight from Psalm 35 and Psalm 69, which are two lament Psalms. When Jesus is predicting his betrayal in John chapter 13, he quotes Psalm 41. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about Judas there, but he draws that from that Psalm's language. And even when Jesus was crucified, making that ultimate sacrifice so that we can be free from sin and death, he shouts out the opening lines of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lived and breathed the Psalms. It was a source of strength and comfort for him in good times and in terrible times. It shaped his trust in God the Father. 
And haven't we committed to following Jesus and learning from Jesus and being like Jesus? Shouldn't we want the same thing? Think about this. Let's say that the creator of the universe comes to California today and walks among us. And he he, he talks like we do and lives like we do here in the Bay Area. Wouldn't you want to know where he gets his coffee? Wouldn't you want to know which podcasts he listens to? Wouldn't you like to know how he is able to love so many people and have such confidence in the way that he lives out every day? I know I would. And that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in the Psalms. Because Jesus was interested in them. And they nourished his spiritual life. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. I want to continue encouraging everyone to read five Psalms a day. Today's February 7th, so seven times five is 35. So start reading Psalms 36 uh, through 40 today. And then tomorrow read 41 through 45 and just five Psalms a day. But start to look for those poetic expressions. Start to see the different types of psalms, the prayers, praises, the instruction, expressions of thanksgiving, lament, and cries for help. I really believe that imitating Jesus and embracing the psalms will equip us to be ready for anything. There's a fantastic group of musicians that Justin introduced me to a while back called Poor Bishop Hooper. They're a group of people that have taken a lot of the psalms and they've set them to music. They've written their own instrumentation and their own melodies to the lyrics that come straight out of psalms. And they're beautiful songs. And I want to end today by having you listen to poor Bishop Hooper's version of Psalm 1. Having dug into this text and thought about it for a little bit, you'll recognize these lyrics. But hopefully these melodies will will float around in your brain throughout this week. And we'll have this greater desire to be those trees that are planted by streams of water. And to have our roots grow deep in the Lord.
Sweet and right instruction. 